Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It's time for Counterpoint, and I'm blessed with the Stephen LeDrew, broadcaster, lawyer, commentator, former person with the Liberal Party when it was normal. Hello. <laughs> but I got you in person, so I'll take ago. it. No, <laughs> yeah. no, call me a person. That's good. Jamie Alderton joining us, of course, principal over at Canaptis PR. Hello there, sir. Hello, Alex. A lot of breaking news tonight. We'll start with the latest. Uh, the deputy commissioner of the OPP is calling on the province's ombudsman to investigate the recent appointment of Toronto Police Superintendent Ron Tavner. Uh, Brad Blair is his name, and he's held the position, I guess, since 2013. Well, he fi- filed a formal request on Tuesday uh, amid claims that there are growing concerns about the hiring process of the new OPP commissioner. Okay, so this story is not going away, uh, Stephen, and this doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. The optics are pretty bad, particularly, and I didn't learn this until just recently, that uh, the commissioner-designate is 70 years old. 72. <laughs> 72. Well, it's even yeah. getting worse by the second. But, Alex, I mean, that really is. Most cops are retired at 55, and... Um, it just doesn't look good, particularly when sometimes it's good in a force like that to have someone coming from outside and give it a new look and to you know, give it a good review. Um, but in this one, there's a lot going against it, notwithstanding that there was a professional company that recommended uh, Tavern. You have to know there is something going on. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe there Friendship. is. Maybe there, well, maybe. I mean, look, ne- but nepotism is nothing new in politics, exactly. Jamie. The problem is, um, and, and I also don't discount the fact that there will be sour grapes, maybe by some people who wanted that job, but now it becomes more of a focus with the ombudsman. Yeah, at the end of the day, although we can expect there's nepotism in politics and kind of favoritism, this isn't being appointed to be uh, Ontario's lead economic official in D.C. or in London, which are often viewed as patronage jobs. This is the chief of police of the province's chief's force. And not only should there not be a conflict of interest, there shouldn't even be a perception of conflict of interest. And the fact that the rules were changed after uh, the requirements for the job listing was changed, after the process started in order for him to be able to qualify uh, in and of itself, leads questions as to why they started a hiring process with official recommendations and requirements that they were only going to change them a few days or weeks later. Uh, there's a lot that it, uh, gets called into question here. And so I think we should have an odd zero doubt that the chief of the Ontario Provincial Police, the, the guy appointed as commissioner, is above approach and is not in the back pocket of the premier. The fact that there's even a perception of that yeah. is a big problem. Yeah, I, w- I would suggest that he's not in the back pocket of the premier, and I think that uh, he's an honorable guy. It's just is the, the optics. Optic. Well, the he's, supposed, optics to be, so he's supposed to be sworn in on the 19th. Uh, should that be postponed? If uh, I was in this government, I'd say no. I'd say let's just do it. Go yeah. ahead. And uh, he'll be there for a year, year and a half. I don't know, yeah. And uh, it's it's really small potatoes. With all the issues, Alex, that we have to talk about, uh, both, you know, provincially, municipally, and, and federally, around the world, it's really small potatoes. It may be a thorn in the side, small thorn. Any, thorn? I know, any, I'm actually going to disagree with Stephen on that. This is good, that's potatoes. what you're supposed to do. There is a lot <laughs> of process and nitty-gritty small details that the government is supposed to be on top of. So regular, normal people don't have to. If you're screwing up the little stuff, how are you supposed to get the big stuff right? Yeah. Well, they're focusing on the big stuff. That's why. Uh, well, look, I, look, they're very lucky that there's so much going on in the news cycle yeah. because stories like this that would normally be front and center for weeks at a time are being buried by all the the world's It's problems. a new government. Yeah. It's an activist government. It's, uh, it's probably, in retrospect, something that they might not have done. 
but uh, it's not such a huge or deal. Done and done a cleaner job of it. Um, I want to talk about this case because this really is dominating. There's so much breaking news right now. A former Canadian diplomat has been arrest, arrested in, I think, what most see as the start of retaliation against Canada. We know that the Chinese government is already targeting Canadian businesses. You know, we know that uh, Canada Goose lost 20%. They've gone after Apple, targeting, uh, saying no more Apple products for people living in China. They want everyone to be on their system. But then we get news tonight that the bail has been granted, which is nuts to this, this, you know, which I can only say is a massive flight risk. And then we're getting news tonight that Donald Trump said, well, if I have to intervene, I will if it gets us a good trade deal in China, which is absolute madness. And Steven. what would they want a trade deal with Huawei for? I mean, really? I mean, first of all, you can't, they've already outlawed it. Maybe, and we maybe don't Mr. Want, Trump doesn't know that. Well, or maybe he's going to say, you know what, I'll make a deal with anything. But I mean, really, uh, to think that they can have the G5 network created by Huawei and not having Huawei looking at every secret, every piece of technology. The United States made the right decision ages ago, as did New Zealand, as did Australia, as Britain should, and as Canada should. Yeah. That company should not be building our infrastructure for this super transmitting highway. No, I mean, there's so much around this story, Jamie, but I think, you know, at the root of it, it looks like Canada was either duped into arresting this person than using her as a negotiating tactic in a trade deal, or I don't know what the hell's going on. I just know it doesn't look all that good. Yeah, so I think if you even look at what's going on with the Russia inquiry and the indictments that have been going on there, as well as in the southern district of Manhattan, we've seen a really pattern of activity that the president, quite frankly, is totally out to lunch as to how the system <laughs> actually functions uh, and what he thinks he can control and what he thinks facts are. So there's no doubt tonight President Trump's comments are very problematic. There is now a Canadian in jail. No kidding. Uh, widely speculated be in retaliation for the arrest of the Huawei executive in Vancouver, who was granted bail. There's one thing that we can actually rely on here in Canada, the United States. She will go through an open and transparent legal process. Uh, she is now well, she has. on bail and will then go be extradited and then will be faced for uh, the charges that are being brought against her, including the evidence that in court of law, our Canadian who's now been detained, we don't even know where they're holding him in China, uh, let alone what crimes and charges he's, he's facing. This is blatant retaliation from the Chinese, and it's absolutely atrocious. And I think we're uh, in an escalating diplomatic war now going forward. The good thing about this, Alex, is that people are starting to realize what the me. Chinese government is like. The Chinese government, they say, release her before a few days ago because they don't understand the rule of law. No, I and get that, but now you've got forced. the President of the United States and China now going, oh, well, you want to kidnap my, I'll kidnap your guy. Yeah, that doesn't help. He doesn't understand the rule of law either. So it's going to be coming down to a, a very strange, cruel world where it's, it's the rule of force. And the United States is giving in to that. But, I mean, we also should realize that's just not going to be a nice world out there. And, really, I mean, are you not going to consider um, thinking twice if you are going to go to China for I a trip? Well, no, I would not be traveling anywhere to China. Or really? Any, no, well, no, because exactly. I don't want to be taken. But, again, I, I, I just, where does this go now? That's, They're going to play back what yeah, you said some night on your radio show. <laughs> hey, lady, three years ago you said this. Yeah. Come in here for detail. I want to talk questions. a little bit about this story because it's been a very big headline. Uh, Ralph Goodale today was asked about the secret transfer of Michael Rafferty. Uh, here's what he said, uh, you know, as to why he did not... Um, you know, why, why was the father of this little girl not notified? Here's what he said. I'm not going to get into a debate with a grieving father. Uh, but what I can tell you is that, uh, that um, uh, the Correctional Service of Canada is examining uh, every step in this process. 
Okay, Jamie, I know it's such a pain in the rear end to get into a debate with a grieving father. I mean, talk about tone deaf again. But really, that's the question. Why wasn't he told? So tone deaf degree, I'll put this one at 5 out of 10, whereas uh, Terry McClintock's transfer to the Healing Lodge was 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, this is clearly an issue where the government is very much offside in mainstream public opinion, and it's something that's going on. And the fact that this continues to happen under Ralph Goodell perhaps lead questions as to perhaps he'll be shuffled in the new year. Oh God. Uh, well, and replaced by who? What, Adam Vaughn? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the, the fun we could have on this panel if that indeed takes place. Yeah. Um, the, at the end of the day, there, the Corrections Canada does operate at somewhat of an arm's length. Uh, but the fact that this is going on, it, it seems the minister's office is totally MIA and unaware of this. And the fact that they've yet to change the regulations in the process as a result of what we saw with Terry McClintock earlier this year to now have her co-partner in crime downgraded in a similar fashion. Uh, it's, it's not quite an apples-to-apples comparison, but it definitely leaves Canadians scratching their head. Well, it does. I mean, because bo- bottom line is it tells me that they don't have control of their ministry because they should have had enough people in there, uh, Stephen, to go, okay, hold on a second. If we're looking at the Terry McClintock, we better be up on the Michael Rafferty file. The fact that Mr. Stafford asked point-blank corrections, is, is, is there something I should know about him? And then only finds out yesterday, 10 months after the fact? Normally, these things should be done by bureaucrats and rules and you go in and you you know you get going through the different uh, types of security but you're absolutely right some bureaucrats should have said hey hey let's just alert the minister's office to this one because it is going to be a big deal again and let them have either at least some notice about it or some points? input i mean at what point do you say minister here's what you're going to say this should not have happened it will never happen again and, and i'm going to fix change it the rates. period stories over we're not talking about it but they can't get their talking points written properly like it's crazy sounds like they're in the hands of the bureaucrats or a 24-year-old, uh, but nonetheless, well, literally, they're so tone-deaf on this issue, and Canadians are... This government is tone-deaf. Yeah. You know, let's throw another $50 million at some talk show. <laughs> yeah, well, it won't be ours. It'll no. be uh, probably the CBC. Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Let's get started on the second round of Counterpoint. we got Stephen LeDrew and Jamie Ellerton weighing off. And Canada, apparently, uh, well, that's not Canada. Let's let's reword that. The Trudeau Liberals may decide in future to uh, enshrine carbon pollution reduction targets in law. This according to the Environment and Climate Change Minister, Catherine McKenna, who said this in a recent interview. So the government that can't meet its own Paris targets, apparently, is now going to make it uh, law for everyone else. One standard for Trudeau yeah. and a different standard for everybody else. And the other thing is, you know what? Instead of a carbon tax, then they'll have a, the Ilbian law, and everybody who's not doing the right thing will pay a big fine. It's just another way around. It's just another taxation. It is, but are do they not? Do as I say, people. Yes, not as I do. But then I would be thinking if I were uh, the environment minister, you know, maybe you should look to your friend Mr. Macron to see how things are going over there, um, you know, Jamie, because it's not going well. But to, to force a law on people to, to reach... Car, uh, you know, carbon targets is ridiculous. Yeah, this kind of also reminds me of things we've seen in the past where you have a balanced budget act where a parliament, after they balance the budget, makes a law that all future governments must balance the budget. Uh, and guess what? Those things quickly get repealed. This is more symbolic than it is substance. And frankly, it's just committing to the more emissions into the environment as she continues to spew hot air. Yeah, but, but it is bad symbolism, though. 
I mean, how can you legislate against stupidity? How can you legislate something that is unattainable? And why would she even bring this up? Do the, does the federal government not have enough stuff to deal with as opposed to well, adding stupid you know, solutions? When you're an ideological government, this probably sounds fantastic. I mean, honestly, yeah. I don't understand why. I thought you said no name-calling. Uh, ideological, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, we've, we've seen Minister McKenna get herself into trouble for freelancing. Every day. Things a little too far uh, when talking to the media in the past. This was not some kind of government announcement in a formal structure. It was my understanding it was done as a rather lengthy sit-down, one-on-one interview. Yeah, so, which is even worse. Take this kind of with a grain of salt. I think this is just more kind of a virtue signaling and empty uh, symbolic rhetoric coming from this government. If they pass the law, they can pat themselves on the back. Uh, Canadians will be Consider yourself. But, but Jamie, doesn't that say something about this government? Yeah, and the well, they're making it up as it goes. It, it very clearly does say where this government's at. Uh, this is all about symbolism and tricks to try and market how great they are to you rather than actually getting things done for Canadians. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Seamus O'Regan, shall we? (laughs) Um, Seamus O'Regan, I I don't understand what he was thinking at this point. He tried to claim that leaving journalism after 15 years was a shock to his system, a painful time in his life. And he said this comment in a group of Canadian military members trying to, you know, establish that he understands, he's got a glimpse into the window of their pain to understand what it's like to put that uniform on the last time. Let's just say it did not go over very well, but here he is in question period being skewered over it. And like I said then, I know enough about the military to know that I would never compare my experience to that of a veteran. But I will say it gave me a peek into that window. And that that fuels what I do. That fuels what I do and my mission, this government's mission, to make life better for veterans and for their families. Jesus. Okay, so Jamie, you're telling me that a guy who got picked up by a black car service when he worked for his television job made probably about 400 grand a year doing a breakfast show, sitting in his makeup chair. I mean, he's trying to compare his trials and tribulations to that of a soldier. Uh, it was a little, he missed the mark. Uh, Yeah, so the uh, reoccurring theme for the night, the Liberals are tone-deaf and out of touch. Uh, I I guess our hearts go out to Mr. Reagan as he dealt with some struggles uh, when he transitioned from a successful year of broadcasting (laughs) and figured out what he was going to do and ultimately decided to run for office in his homeland of Newfoundland. With his best buddy, Justin, that he was in his wedding of. yeah. Uh, To say this in a room of veterans who are actually struggling with the well-documented challenges uh, the men and women in our armed forces face when they do retire and leave the armed forces and go back into civilian life. Uh, it's, if, even if he was trying to be empathetic and he had the right intentions, this is like very missed the mark. And I uh, think his well, future remarks J- if we have more. J- Jamie, he's losing. He's, he's, he's no, going forward. Jamie, he's learning from the best. I mean, it was he and Trudeau that went down to that uh, island a year ago at Christmas. Yes, but but again, look, it was Mr. Trudeau who told a room full of veterans that you ask for too much. I mean, uh, look, they just are gaff-tastic. You can blame the last government fairly for for not fulfilling their uh, obligations to our vets. But this government, they can't even get their talking points right on it. It's ridiculous. You're comparing you leaving a TV. You left a TV career. Was it just a traumatic situation? You left one as well. (laughs) Yes, it was painful. And it wasn't anything like what a vet goes through, being shot at or, you know, seeing their friends. But, yeah, but it's not like getting no. shot in the head, right? No, right. It's just a bang to the head. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Time magazine has picked its uh, person of the year. It's not really a person. And they have chosen the media, essentially, as its picks. They're calling it The Guardians. 
and it honors several jury and, uh, journal- journalists sorry, that were either arrested or killed for telling the truth. And of course, uh, Mr. Gom- um, uh, Koge- Kogeshi, sorry, I'm, I'm brain farting on his name, was of course Khashoggi, Khashoggi was uh, was front and center, but a number of journalists uh, were per- right in front and center. Is this the right? Pro- I'll start with you on this. Was this the right choice? I don't think it was. I, I think, think that there's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm always in, in favor of journalists, but when journalists get sanctimonious and saying we are the guardians of liberty and we are the guardians of freedom, I think it's going a little bit too much. So I think that um, th- in this case is too bad. I mean, I mean, this is a horrible case of what happened to Khashoggi. I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible what's going on about now. And everybody is just sort of turning the other cheek on this one, which I can't believe. And why are they doing that? Because Saudi is buying billions of dollars of armaments. Yeah, but Time magazine hates Donald Trump. So I only look at this right now as a stick in the eye to Donald Trump. Uh, it's a, it's a, we're going to make sure that we keep you held to account. By the way, he came in second this year, Jamie. Yeah, these kind of year-end rankings and the like are obviously widely debated, uh, whether that's best cities to live in, person of the year, album of the year, just about every facet of life and society gets its own best of at this time of year. Uh, the, at the end of the day, uh, the, professionalism, the profession of journalism is actually increasingly under attack, not only in places where you sadly have come to expect it in places like China and Saudi Arabia, and we've seen increasing authoritarianism in Erdogan's Turkey, uh, but now we also see the uh, supposed leader of the free world and President Trump regularly calling journalists the enemy of the people. Yeah, so Jamie, I, don't I, you I, think Trump should be the newsmaker of the year? Back. I know. I, I gotta, I've got to be I think there are bigger newsmaker's. But well, Trump was. Well, he is you, you he's a non- you nonstop. You agree with him, but now, I mean, he was a newsmaker I also of the think year. Huawei was probably a bigger story, but it came out so late. So late. I think it's not. All right, guys, I do do have to leave it there, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Mr. Stephen LeDrew, Mr. Jamie Ellerson, always a pleasure, and I thank you. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.